With the fall of Carthage, and indeed the fall of Rome, the Bruja found themselves without a place to call their own. Certainly there were Bruja all the way from the British Isles to the Ottoman Empire and beyond, but none of these regions could be truly described as Bruja domain. Indeed, as we learned previously, even when they did conquer land, they were quickly ousted and made a minor power. Simply put, the clan as a whole lacked cohesion and vision, many of its elders still brooding over the loss of Carthage and refusing to do much about it. Many whose passion and zeal had not been marred by the loss and fall of their great city banded together to form the Prometheans, whose vision was to rebuild Carthage. Yet history would show these Prometheans as impotent as their elders, for while they spoke of grand visions, nothing they did ever came remotely close to what the Bruja had once achieved. Larger groups and ambitions aside, there were some amongst the clan of zealots who earned a reputation of great wisdom and judgment. But these were always individuals, sharing little success with the rest of the Bruja. Some even rose to princedom, but many others took up the torch of revolution, throwing themselves into one hopeless cause after another to capture that intensity of emotion and life that they missed so dearly. You will not find records of great Bruja conspiracies during this time, or even rivalries that changed the course of history. The truth is, the Bruja remained a minor clan on the political field for hundreds of years, individualistic and ever searching for that fabled paradise of vampires and mortals. Indeed, at this time it was the anti-tribu who saw more success as the Sabbat began to take shape, learning from their mistakes and, over time, reforging themselves into an army with a worthy cause. Few canines can match the conviction of the Bruja anti-tribu who threw in their lot with the Tsimitsi and La Zambra at the Convention of Thorns. Once it became time to migrate to this new world and lay claim to the lands and people there, the Bruja were quick to jump at the opportunity. Many saw in these lands another chance at building something great, but once again their unwillingness to cooperate kept them as weak contenders. But that is not to say that the Bruja did not grow and thrive. Indeed, they were quick to embrace great broods for themselves, seeing neither lack of space nor resources. Many traveled south into the jungles of South America, following the trail of Pizarro, only to vanish without a trace. Likewise, Mexico turned out to be overrun by the Sabbat within a few years, and the traveling Bruja quickly came to realize that once more their lack of cohesion had been their undoing. While the East Coast now carried a multitude more humans to feed from, so too had the Ventru, Torador and Tremere moved in, seizing what political power they could and waging their war against the Sabbat. Many Bruja converted to the Sword of Cain during this time, either because they saw no future for themselves in the Camarilla, and perhaps also swayed by Galbraith, the Torador anti-tribu, or on pain of death, having been caught by packs of Cainites. These Bruja greatly helped strengthen the Sabbat presence not only in Mexico, but also in Canada, as the goal of the Sabbat was one worthy of the rabble, and few fight with the same fury and reckless abandon as a Bruja convinced it is for a noble cause. In the Camarilla, there was little interest among the Bruja to follow the mortals expanding to the west. Complacent in the cities of the east coast, it took long before more than the occasional and particularly rowdy Bruja to decide to try heading westwards, either out of wanderlust or due to lack of domain along the overcrowded Atlantic Sea border, only to find an overabundance of other kindred who did not much appreciate them encroaching on their territory. Canada, likewise, had little appeal for them as the clan generally disliked rural or barren territory, much more at home in the bustling seaports. 
In the 1800s, it was once more a time of change and revolution, and in Europe the Bruja thrived greatly as the French Revolution was followed by the Empire of France, Napoleon's many wars, and the explosion of philosophy that came with the time. When not fighting on opposite sides in these wars, many Bruja elders found their blood boiling for the first time in centuries, as they spent many nights debating workers' rights, the equality of man, and countless other topics of discussion occupying the minds of the mortals around them. Socialism began to take form amongst the European working class, and in the West there were plenty of conflicts to be had as the US waged war first with its neighbors, then with itself. Bruja were less concerned with the civil war than one might think, but this again accounts to the fact that the American Bruja were still very insular, even while the Europeans were slowly regaining their fervor for mortal affairs. Instead, most often you will hear stories of Bruja outlaws during this time, riding with well-known gangs and causing mayhem all through the American West. Indeed, the American side of the clan remained woefully purposeless until the 1940s. As the West was finally settled, the Camarilla Bruja found themselves pushed against the West Coast, settling in cities like Sacramento, Seattle, Los Angeles and San Diego. Jeremy McNeil, a Scottish Bruja and long-standing ally of Robin Leland, the sire of Tyler and one of the most powerful Bruja of Europe, had traveled to America to spread Leland's ideas amongst the kindred, and eventually found himself in Los Angeles in the early 1940s. The local prince, a torador by the name of Don Sebastian, wanted the known instigator gone and set his goons to beat him into submission. Yet this flagrant display of misuse of power banded the local anarchs and Bruja together, and they, after Sebastian walked free from the local elders' judgement of the situation, tore down the entire establishment, McNeil becoming a beacon for their fury. Within a week the prince had been caught, chained inside his haven and burned alive, and within two months the Camarilla had no presence to speak of in the City of Angels. Several other smaller cities along the west coast followed Los Angeles' example, and together they formed the Anarch Free States. In less than three years the state of California was, with some exception, Anarch territory, as were parts of Oregon and Washington. McNeil, who at this point had become the de facto leader of the movement, established baronies for powerful kindred to rule over. They accepted the Camarilla traditions, of course, but would not allow elders to rule over others unopposed. Eventually, the idealism was replaced with petty bids for power as the baronies became distant from each other, and kindred gangs and brews warred for resources and territory. The ideal that any kindred should be allowed to make their fortune worked well for older vampires who could easily fill the power vacuum left behind. While far from as free as its name implies, the Anarch Free States nonetheless present a step in the right direction, and many younger kindred have managed to stake a claim or make a name for themselves. Yet the vampires of East Asia, the Wangkwei, have been encroaching upon the west coast, gaining grounds in San Francisco and Los Angeles much due to the fractitiousness of the local kindred, and the Camarilla repeatedly attempts to reclaim the area, thirsting for the money and influence that California's crown jewel offers. It doesn't help that McNeil is feared to have died during a recent conflict with the Wangkwei, Camarilla and Sabat on Telegraph Hill, although some hope that he remains alive somewhere. In Europe, things came to a head in the early 20th century as the Russian Tsar was brought down and the People's Revolution took power in his place. And when that happened, the Bruja were there. They overthrew the princes of Russia, whom they had fought for so long, and instead grabbed the reins of the kindred community of the Soviet Union. Every single Bruja was invited to be a member in a massive council, despite age or power, and together they would rule. 
While a momentous achievement in itself, the council was, time and again, plagued by indecision and squabbles. They held little to no sway over Lenin, and when they maneuvered Trotsky to replace him, Stalin usurped their candidate, and he, like Lenin, proved almost impossible to influence. To make matters worse, the council's enemies saw an opportunity in Stalin and supported his regime, significantly weakening the council's grip over the Soviet Union. A cold war ensued between the non-council kindred and the Bruja that lasted for years, and it crippled the trust between the members of the council. The Second World War sowed even further chaos in the political scene, and by the time it was over, many of the council's rivals had left the country for greener pastures. The rabble remained the most powerful faction, but they were far, far from as strong as they had once been. And as Gorbachev began to implement his changes in the 1980s, they grew ever weaker. Many Bruja left, having lost faith in the great project, but those who remained had no complaints. All the more power for them. But then Baba Yaga awoke. No one knows exactly what happened after that, except that the council was completely destroyed by this ancient vampire, and that she ruled unchallenged for years before she was allegedly destroyed. Whatever could have done something like this must truly be feared, and few dare to investigate the issue further. The Bruja can be placed into two rough categories, the iconoclasts and the idealists. These are of course fairly fluid distinctions, but serve to indicate one of the primary rifts within the clan itself. As the name indicates, the idealists are those who hold an often very lofty ideal close to their hearts. These are generally a tad bit older and tend to be more academically inclined, but not always. Many of them will speak longingly for Carthage, regardless if they were there or not, and these are often the leaders of the clan, the primogen and the princes, the elders who allegedly know better. The iconoclasts, meanwhile, are the vast majority of the clan, and those who cause the most noise. These kindred, often young, prefer change and motion over thought and reflection. These are the Bruja who leap from one ideological flame to another, burning passionately as they fight for whatever they consider right. Ironically, both of these sides depend on each other, as the iconoclasts remind the idealists of their fiery youth, and the idealists tutor and inspire the iconoclasts in tempering their passion for greater things. Naturally, few of them will ever admit to this. Bruja tend to gather in two different ways, rants and raves. Rants are debates where the rabble fight each other with words, although it can take the shape of anything from a senatorial debate to a rap battle. A rant can cover many topics, but they all involve issues relevant to the clan at large. Raves, meanwhile, are a more recent invention, and are ways for the rabble to let out steam. Hedonistic parties to end all parties, these events usually make the headlines, much to the local prince's chagrin, but tend to keep within the traditions, if only to spite them. In a sense, they are a sort of Bruja Elysium, where they can meet without fear of rivals trying to murder each other. Although violence is, of course, always present. And as we enter the 21st century, there is a great upheaval in the vampiric community. The gangrel have left the Camarilla formally, and the conflicts between Ventru and Bruja grow more intense each night. Some say that the clan of philosophers are just a hair's width from abandoning the sect, and if they do, they are sure to go out with a bang. Our work has pleased the antediluvian snow who has risen to oversee it. Long may he reign, this dark god. The Methuselah Aubrey Ayers, whose wisdom transcends the boundaries of our understanding, and her satanic majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, are likewise worthy of our devotion. We are truly blessed to serve such illustrious masters.
The Council would also especially like to thank these Primogen for their contribution to its work. Maximilian S. Hardcastle, 06, and Stonewolf 18. Your wisdom, experience, and good judgment shall be the torchlight by which we conduct our affairs. Our elders Edward Reed, Dante the Canine, What's That Smells His Blood, Remy Van Roy, Gaslight 88, and Bambi Parsons shall receive our gratitude for their support and wise counsel. And we would also wish to send our thanks to the Ancile Colin Gifford, Harry Wyckoff, Envihan, and Adam Daw for their support. Likewise, our stalwart neonates shall, as always, receive our appreciation for their services. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.